Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Leanne. Hi. Great to have you here. I've been watching your journey for a year and a half now. It's been, right? Something like that? Yeah, I think so. So today on Bold Becoming, we have Leanne Brennan. Is that how you say your last name? Yes. Oh, good. And I met Leanne in a business development class, and she and I watched her over this last year and a half because the identity loss and identity transition story that I think she's going to tell today is about sort of drift. So she's an artist and she actually was working paid as an artist, but she wasn't, it was not necessarily the art she needed to do to like, I'm going to let her talk about it, but basically she somehow like over the years lost her, her connection with her creativity in, in the way that it feeds a person and realized it wasn't okay. And in this business class, I watched her like figure. So she's like, she's working. She's going to tell all this in much more better detail or accurate, but working outside the home for money as an artist um, and a mom of like two little kids. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two little kids, a wife. And so like right there, that's a lot. In fact, that's a lot. I was going to say it's too much, um, but that's my opinion. And so I watched her in this class where we had to figure out like something to do to make money. And she ended up figuring out a way to do her art every single day in little tiny time chunks. And she's going to explain it more, but, and then, and now she actually is helping other artists reconnect with their creativity because and we're going to hear about why it's just not okay to keep repressing your creativity. And in fact, I did that for 25 years with my sewing and pattern making. And, and it's just like, it's not, it just doesn't work out so well when, when we like neglect something that is so fundamental to who we are. So it, how is that for an introduction, Leanne? Yeah, that's great. I'd say that's, that's pretty close. A couple details need to be fleshed out, but absolutely. Okay. Well, do you want to flesh them out in the story or do you want to make corrections right now to make sure we got it straight? Yeah. So I would say the one big piece is that um, the majority of my child caretaking, I was not working full-time at a company. I was freelancing. And that's really where the story began because I was working full-time ever since, you know, I went to art school for film and animation. Oh, okay. And I went right away to like a video game company, like very prestigious games. We were making Guitar Hero and Rock Band. I was a character artist at this company um, doing really amazing things. And then I moved on to an innovation consultancy as a motion designer so I've always been kind of like killing it in my day job as an artist. And that is where I linked my self-worth as a creative to my day job. Unknowingly, that's where I got my sense of satisfaction was in my day job, because that was really the only place where I was being creative. What I was missing was my personal artwork which is the art that's just for me. It's not for a client. It's not for a commission. It's not for anyone. It's just for me. And those are those very sensitive drawings that I started to do that you saw during our program together. That was the piece, the personal work and the journey to get there. That was the identity piece. Like, who am I? Like, who am I without this job? And I quit my job when my daughter was my first child. Okay, wait, was... wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's not tell the story too fast. Sure. 
So, so a lot of people, in fact, I would probably, I'm not an expert, but I would guess the vast majority of people, their self-worth is in how they're getting paid in the world mm -hmm. or in their main role, like mothers, stay-at-home moms, that's their main role. And so a lot of the self-worth is around whatever our main role is. And, and that's what happened to me when I lost my job overnight as a social worker, when my hand went out on me, seized up and got repetitive stress injury, and I lost my career. And I used to, you know, when people ask you, what do you do? I used to be able to answer it. And they'd be like, I'd say I'm a social worker and tell them the kind of social work I did. And, and I would, you know, it would be like this good answer. Everybody was happy with it. Right. And then overnight I wasn't and I was disabled and it was like an invisible disability. And then people were all like judging me and it was completely weird. And so the whole thing about tying our identity to our work is, is kind of expected. And so a lot of times people don't even realize how much they've tied their identity to it until they lose it. And so in your case, so tell me again, how did you start to realize that this became like more of your identity than it needed to be or something? Yeah, yeah. And I just like to add a little my two cents there. I think it's expected because that's how we're trained to be in school. Yeah. People say, what are you going to be when you grow up? I think that's such a weird phrase to say. It's like, what am I going to be? Do you mean what kinds of things am I going to try during my lifetime? You know, I really try not to say that to my children. It's like, I'm going to be this. It's like, no, that's not how it works anymore. We're not <laughs> doing that. So it was the journey from working as like this hot shot designer for, I don't know, I graduated in 2004, left in 2015. So however many years that is to stay at home with my, with my child, because she was not doing well in daycare and it was killing me. Okay. So I left my job. I was already starting to feel kind of disengaged from the job. And that was this like little nagging tug that was the beginning of it is I felt this feeling of like I'm not really into this anymore but I'm good at it but I feel like there's something else but I don't know what it is and then I left my job to be at stay-at-home mom with this seven-month-old baby who of course I love but did not identify as a stay-at-home mom I still struggle as a mother, I, my temperament, my being really has a hard time with young children. <laughs> um, and I was drowning. I didn't know how to be happy. And I kept trying to take on personal projects and it was always too complicated. And I would start and then stop after like a week because I couldn't figure out how to balance it with caring for my daughter. And then I started freelancing, thinking that would solve the problem of, you know, filling this void of like, who am I? And that didn't do it. And I was just kind of grasping. Hold on, hold on. For... What, so what, what did it feel like? Who am I? This void? Who am I that you were trying to fill? Yeah, there, I tell this story all the time. I remember being at a playground with my daughter and like you said, this woman, you know, we were chatting, we were at the playground. She's like, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I paused for a really long time. And I didn't know what to say because it had been months since I had worked at this full-time job. I had left it. I hadn't created any artwork for myself in almost a decade so I wanted to say I'm an artist, but I couldn't because I wasn't embodied in that because I wasn't creating. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have an answer. And I remember just saying nothing. You know, I this is what I do. I, you know, I'm I'm home with my daughter. 
And I heard those words come out of my mouth and I was like, oh, this is not good. This needs to be fixed. <laughs> we need to solve this. And I think, you know, we're at a very um, different time in human history where women have so many choices. And, you know, whereas before motherhood was who you were pretty much. Mm -hmm. And then later, at least in this country, you could be a teacher or a nurse. Um, but it's, you know, and especially now, just being a mother, just the word just is people think it's okay to say that as if being a mother isn't enough just in itself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, it's really, um, it's a catch 22. Yeah. I mean, I totally see that. And there's, I have friends who love the role of stay at home mom. I have family members who love that role and identify with that role and get so much fulfillment and happiness from that. And I think that is so beautiful but that is not me that has never been me and it it will never be me I mean I love my kids but I'm gonna be honest like I really struggle with this this job <laughs> yeah um so I have my my jacket making teacher in Colombia he died last year but anyway he he and his wife had six kids. So this is Columbia, South America, where women are like, that is what you do. At least now, now women are having careers and not having families, or at least, you know, not the way it used to be. But during his time, that's what they women do is they have kids and they stay home and they take care of their kids. But it's very interesting because, and I met all the kids, the oldest one, unfortunately, got killed in the Pablo Escobar era. But anyway, it's another story. But um, so I'll, I met all the other kids there and they were already grown up by the time I went and studied with him. And and they told me that. Um, and the mom, you know, she's a very loving person, but she didn't love being a mom. And actually, some aunt actually raised all of her six kids wow. while she was still in the house being mom. I don't think she worked outside the house. But it's just like, even in, in these quote, traditional cultures where mm -hmm. that's sort of the only choice women have, mm -hmm. even in those cultures, some of the women don't actually, they're not really cut out to be moms. That is so interesting. That actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> I know it doesn't it. Cause I was like, how could this be? And that's and, fascinating. And it's just like, well, it's just, you know, she just wasn't a, she wasn't just like the mom type of person. She like gave birth and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, you know, she, that mm -hmm. wasn't, that wasn't just didn't work out for her. Mm -hmm. And then fortunately, you know, because families live around each other and they help each other out more, it wasn't like a really big deal that she, it like, it worked out fine. And the kids mm -hmm. are like completely normal they don't feel like they were neglected mm -hmm. and they love their mom and they just understand that well momming wasn't actually her thing and so aunt so-and-so really you know mommed us and mm -hmm. and we're all cool with it yeah there <laughs> you go <laughs> love it so um and then I um Another interview I did on this with another artist, Liz Bonnie. She being the stay-at-home mom thing really wasn't working out for her either. And she she got back into art and it it you know it changed things for her. But so I think there's a lot of of women who being a mother isn't all they need. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's too much, way much more than they need. And my mom, she like for a lot of her life was a pediatric nurse. She loved kids, but she told me that, so there was like three of us, I was number three. And then later a fourth came and, and she was staying at home because even though she like went to nursing school, um, my oldest brother was all sick, so she had to like stay home and, and take care of him and bring him to the doctor and hospital, all this stuff. 
And, and she told me though, that she was going stark raving mad because mm. the intellectual stimulation was, wasn't, it just mm-hmm. wasn't there. Yeah. And, and that finally she decided she was going to read for half an hour a day and she didn't care if one of us fell out the window, which of course was a complete lie. Of course she would care. And of course she like made sure that we didn't like hurt ourselves, but she just kind of like you, she just found a way to put herself back in the equation mm-hmm. because the, um, you know, she needed more intellectual stimulation than just, just being a mom. I hate saying that phrase. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, but I, yeah, I get it. And I think that's really true is that you really have to like muscle your way back in there and find that piece that's going to give you that little shred of, okay, I am versus just like always giving, giving, giving. And that's really what I started to do. And it actually started with journaling in the morning. My, my son would get up at like 5.00 AM. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I started this whole thing when he was like six months old, he'd be up. I was up, I was breastfeeding at the time. So I was like on call every two hours, you know, and we would be up for the day at 5am and I would just journal, like he'd be playing on the floor, happy for two seconds, you know, with some toy that I would put in front of him. And I would always have just this cheap little notebook. I had these cheap little notebooks in every room in the house Mm, so that I never had to leave him. There'd always be a notebook and a pen so that I could just stream of conscious write. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was about how miserable I felt and how tired I was and how this life wasn't the way I thought it was going to be. And you know, what I was going to eat for breakfast, like all this stuff would just come out. And, and then I would start sketching, like it would be words, 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 little drawings, words, words, words. And that was the little creeping back into this personal side of myself. And then during the day, thank goodness for AirPods. Thank you for that invention. (laughs) Because during the day, I would be listening to things that I was excited about. Hmm. So yes, I'm doing this monotonous caretaking, but now I get that intellectual stimulation. I'm listening to podcasts and audiobooks about topics I'm interested in. That was filling my brain. And then it started shifting. This journaling started shifting about what I was listening to the day before. Okay. And then the drawing on it. Yes, the drawing started becoming about what I was listening to the day before. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there's a theme here. And that was Mm -hmm. how it started. So hold on. So all this journaling started after that conversation in the park where you basically said you're, you couldn't answer the question. What do you do? Yeah, there was a big stretch. There was a couple years between that moment and getting this journaling thing going so that so that's that's one of the things in my book and that's one of the the shifts that I want in culture is for people to understand that transition takes time Mm -hmm. and just leave people alone and let them like not be okay don't try to force everybody to be okay because you just don't find yourself that fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, my my daughter at that time, I think by then she was either one and a half. Yeah, she was definitely under two. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was young. And the journaling started when my son was six months old. He was born in 2020. She was born in 2015. So there was at least three years, at least. And what I did was that those... percolating in you. Yes, the percolating, but also I got introduced to mindfulness and manifestation. Oh, okay. And for the first time. So wait, explain that for people who those words aren't like at the tip of their tongue. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I, it wasn't at the tip of my tongue. I had no idea what it was. And I, by chance got invited to a women's circle, which I had no idea what that was. Um, a, a former colleague of mine invited me to this thing. She was like, Hey, you know, you should come out. You said you've been trying to like make friends in this new town. Cause I had just moved. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what this thing is, but I would like to get out of the house. That would be good for me. <laughs> So I go and it's all these women. We're in a circle. They start with meditation, something I'd never done before. Hmm. You know, a guided meditation. They told me to close my eyes. I'm like, okay. And then, <laughs> you know, going through this thing, I'm like nervous. And then there is a prompt and everyone got three, I think it was five minutes to speak. And no one was allowed to interrupt you. And that was so powerful for me. And it was all these women and they were just sharing about their life based on the prompt, the topic that the host presented. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And I felt so connected to these women I had never met. And I remember at the end, while everyone was kind of leaving, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, what would you call this? <laughs> like, how do I get more of this? How do I learn? What is this all about? And one woman shared that term. She's like, well, I've been, you know, doing this manifestation work for a while. I'm like, oh, what is that? And, you know, I started learning about it. And basically, to me, what it is it manifestation is really about do you can you go out on a limb and believe that there are an infinite amount of futures that are available to you right now mm -hmm. and you could literally just quantum leap over from one to the other in like 0.5 seconds it's just dependent on like raising to that level energetically and you know deciding what you want and taking the steps in that direction and I was like yeah I can get behind that I never really thought about that <laughs> and I started reading books about it and the podcasts and taking workshops and just going down that personal development rabbit hole hmm. Yeah, that's another thing I talk about in my book, Choice Over Circumstance, is that you have you have circumstances and we have so much choice. Mm -hmm. And and it's like it's really all in our mind how we choose to proceed through whatever is put in our path. Yeah. And I think you have to be at a certain point where you're you're able to hear that. Because, you know, at the at the rock bottom level of my despair, if someone were to say that to me, I would be like, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, how mm -hmm. can you say that? Like, I remember my mom always saying, like, there's always another way, you know, and I was just so insulted by that. I'm like, you don't understand. There's no way out of this, you know, and I was really in that place. So it's like you have to be a, a, at a certain point along the journey where you're able to receive those words that you can be able to take that step and knowing that there's another choice and and being open to that. Right. I want to ask you to describe being at the rock bottom place, but I want to just real quick say I at the 11th and a half hour I was, I realized that the, whatever the quote is in the beginning of the book, it starts with an E, I forget what they call it, but I have a quote at the beginning of the book and it needed to be at the end of the book. And, and the quote at the end of the book would work at the beginning because the quote that I had was all about, oh, you know, whatever happens in life, if you make it through, then actually it's this potential growth thing. And I had just sent my book to this friend of mine whose son just got diagnosed with brain, his 21 year old son got diagnosed with brain cancer two months ago. Mm. 
And he said he was interested in my book. So I sent it to him. And, and then I, I was like flipping through it on the computer. It's still on the computer only still. And, and I read that and I'm like, oh my God, this guy is going to like not go past this. He's not even going to get to the table of contents mm-hmm. if he reads this quote right here, because there is no way that two months after your son is diagnosed with brain cancer, that you're going to start thinking about, oh, you know, it's all going to come out okay in the end. Right. Like, yeah, even if like, they die, it's all going to I know. It's just like, exactly. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I so much, I'm so sad that this is going on happening to him. And I am so thankful that, that I was able to change, put this quote in the part of the book where it makes sense and mm-hmm. completely not in the beginning, because you, you, that you, you just, you're not there. Yeah. Exactly. So tell me, tell me what it was like being at the bottom and yeah. in, in, in particular, like, from your identity, like who you had become that was so not okay. Yeah. I mean, it was awful. Everything seemed impossible. Like what? Every, everything. I was, first of all, I was so tired Yeah. from being up all night, like nurse. I was, you know, doing the breastfeeding on demand thing mm-hmm. full time for a year so I was just exhausted. I was so tired. I couldn't even, I be aware enough to ask for help from my husband. And I had not been around mothers with young children. So I didn't know how this goes. And You're I just figured caught off guard. And yeah, like, I'm oh, like, okay, well, I is... guess this is just how it is. And my husband like just got a new job and I felt bad like asking him to get up with our daughter and I was like even if he got up with her what would the point be he can't feed her right and that I was just stuck in this cycle of like everything is awful everything is hard and just leaving the house honestly like we had a grocery store down the street from us And it took me like two hours just to muster up the strength and just like the courage to leave the house because I had so much anxiety that I was like, oh my gosh. And everything, I didn't come naturally to me. Like getting my daughter in the stroller was like such an ordeal for me. Whereas I see other mothers and it's like no big thing, you know? So. I was like, this job sucks. I'm not good at it. I'm exhausted. And I want to do something else. I don't know what it is. There's no way out. I've got to wait until this child is like in kindergarten for me to even think about starting any personal work for myself. And that's going to be like three years from now. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I just have to wait this out for three more years until I can get a shred of myself back. Mm -hmm. And it was killing me. I mean, I was slowly just becoming so numb, like really resentful towards my husband, really just like these dips in my mood, like super angry and then sad and not fun to be around. Honestly, like I put on a happy face for my daughter and was always, you know, present and good with her, but that was it. Like I was done. I, and that was a long time. And you had two kids by now? No, that was just the one child, which I laugh at now. I'm like, how am I doing what I'm doing? (laughs) Like (laughs) two kids now. Um, So like there's a way out, everyone, if you're listening to this and feel the same way. But no, it was in preparation for the second child that I was like, I cannot relive that experience again because... Mm -hmm. I had kind of come out of the woods once my daughter hit like three years old 
Mm -hmm. it's like okay she's sleeping more I was no longer breastfeeding like all these things like I was starting to get my body back she was starting to get more independent I was dabbling and getting like babysitters so that was giving me a little break um so I was starting to feel physically and emotionally better getting excited about preschool like we were going to put her in this little like morning preschool so I was like, okay, like life is going to be okay. <laughs> but it was, you know, shortly after that, that we decided to start trying for our second child, which if you think of like how hard it was for me, like, why would you have another child? But you know, <laughs> who knows how the human brain works, but I really wanted another child for some reason. Um, and I'm so glad that we had him and I love him so much. Um, but I was like, okay we need to get serious. I need to get a creative practice underway in the flow before this baby comes. And this needs to be my full-time project, like figuring this out and getting this thing going before this baby comes. And the reason I was able to do that is because we were having trouble conceiving this child. So you're under stress. So I was under stress because I was working like really, really freelancing at this time, like kind of burning the candle at both ends. I was staying up late. I was not eating well. I was not taking care of my body. I was just like, go, go, go working on these freelance projects. And my husband and I decided, why don't you take a break from freelancing? Because he had just gotten this new job and just get your health back, you know? So mm -hmm. that's when it all started. I'm like, okay, well, I'm no longer freelancing. I'm focusing on getting sleep, on eating well, on like these basic human body things. And I had emotional space to then take on that personal development work that I was talking about after I went to that women's circle. So that's when I was like, oh, okay, now I can enter into this new phase of my life. And it was then that I realized that I even wanted a personal creative practice. Oh, you didn't even know it. No, at first I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to working full time and I'm going to be a creative director. And I'm going to, you know, go to the next level in my career. That'll make me happy. But no, that wasn't it. It wasn't it. And I decided, no, I don't, I don't want to go back and work for someone else. Like I'm done with that. I want to do my own art. And originally, for some reason, I thought it was painting. And that's where the story began. I started painting again. And there are a bunch of starts and stops with the painting, but eventually I was able to lower the bar, scale it way back because I kept taking on projects that were too big. Hmm. You know, I'd be like, I know I'm going to get back into painting. And, you know, I'd get this large canvas because in my head, a big canvas is impressive. And I would like, I'm such a planner. I would like make this plan. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make 10 paintings and then I'm going to apply to a gallery and then I'm going to get a solo show and then this and then this and then that. And of course, this large canvas after not having painted in who knows how long, over 10 years, I can't just approach this blank canvas, you know, <laughs> like, what am I going to paint? It was too complicated. So that's kind of the story that gets into what I'm teaching is like, but we've got to lower the bar here. So we're going to go into that, but before you do that, so, but you are still now a full-time stay-at-home mom with two kids. So it's not exactly like you had tons of time for creativity, even though theoretically, theoretically you don't still. Yeah. Theoretically I don't still, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I got the creative, the creative practice going before the second child arrived okay yeah but still you were a, a 
mom of a young kid, which is actually a pretty full-time, in fact, is more than full-time. Even if they do go to some hours to daycare, it's not like you're, you're sitting back with, you know, drinking iced tea with your heels on a table. Exactly. Yeah, it was a lot. And it was during the pandemic as well. So this whole time I'm pregnant with my son, the whole world has shut down. We had just moved to a new town like three months before COVID hit. So I knew nobody, we had no family around. Um, I'm managing my daughter in virtual kindergarten. So virtual kindergarten. Oh, what a joke. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. But I had a, you know, I had done the personal development work before all that went down. So I was armed and ready in my head, like I could handle it, mm-hmm. you know, years before three years earlier, that would have broken me. And I would have been like, this is over. This is not possible. But thank goodness. I was able to give myself that attention and put that mental work in mm-hmm. because I had gotten these paintings going. I, I decided to do these tiny, tiny little six by six paintings on canvas paper which if anyone is an artist listening, they're like, oh my gosh, canvas paper. It's like, we don't use canvas paper. It's like cheap and not respected in the industry, which is great because that's exactly what I needed. I needed this kind of like throwaway thing that wasn't going to be for anything. It wasn't going in any art gallery. Exactly. I needed to just return to that beautiful place of, just the joy of painting and that's what I did and it started to become this just really soul-filling meditative activity and thank goodness I had that during the pandemic while I was pregnant because it was so calming after each little session that I could grab onto 10 minutes here 20 minutes there my nervous system was like so regulated, so at peace. And it's what I believe really got me through that very stressful time being pregnant, giving birth during that whole COVID thing and managing my daughters because I had this very grounding creative practice going that I could turn to. Wow. So you're right. You're reminded me of when I lost my my social work career because of my hand disability from taking notes. And then I ended up being able to study with this woman that I had envisioned 25 years earlier. And um, pattern making, custom pattern making and sewing. But the whole thing was around this Vogue rehab that I needed to like make a career out of it. So I never really enjoyed it. Because mm-hmm. I felt like everything had to like hurry up and be able to support myself with something again. And it it was it was really it was really unpleasant, something that was so beautiful and something that I wanted so much, but it 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 had this pressure. I yeah. was under this pressure and it just took all the joy out of it. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you're just like clawing for these 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you're like moving heaven and earth to make time for this personal creative act. Of course, your ego is like, well, this better be worth it. This better and and better work out. Right. It better make money. It better like all this stuff. And it, it just adds to that. Yeah. It's like, this isn't fun. This isn't how authentic work could ever come out of me because nothing beautiful comes out of that type of energy, right? It just breaks the whole process and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting because it's so ironic because once you throw that out the window, and you do let go. And I do believe those goals are good, right? That having a North Star and saying, this is where I want to go. That's great. But after you do that, you need to let it go. <laughs> and 
And that's what I was able to do. And I, it's so ironic because once you do that, that's when you start being successful. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's the moment where things start working because your energy around it is so clean. It's the non-attachment that Buddhists talk about. Right, exactly. It's the same thing. It applies here so, so much. And and thank goodness I was able to get to that place. And um, so the story that I, like my journey here, I ditched the painting because once I was able to give myself that, I was like, oh, okay, any creative practice is going to give me this feeling. And the feeling is not being sad, basically, in this less than ideal circumstance. So it doesn't really matter what I do. I just need something that's creative that I can do. And so I ditched painting when I was like two or three months away from giving birth because I decided like, I don't want the whole setup with like the paint palette and the paints and the water can and like that can like I don't want to deal with that with a newborn baby yeah so Child, I put child proofing your house yeah I was just like I'm not doing this this is gonna give me so much anxiety I'm gonna have to like wash my hands and like check if there's paint on them like I'm not gonna do that so I decided to put that away and that's where the whole epic bones, my drawings that I started to make on the iPad, that's when that came because I was like, oh, I can just do digital drawings. Mm. So, and that's when the journaling started happening in the morning with those sketches because I intended like, oh, eventually I can make these simple little drawings on my iPad. And like, that will satisfy this creative itch that makes me feel productive, that makes me feel happy. So that's where it kind of connects. And when my, I gave myself the six months, so I didn't start that right away. I allowed myself to like recover and get through that first six months with the newborn baby. But once I was feeling stronger, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this creative practice. I've already decided what it is. I'm going to start easy peasy with just journaling and sketching in my notebook. And then eventually that turned into digitally inking those drawings on the iPad. So at what point did I meet you in the business class? You, yeah. You'd already started it? I sort of thought you kind of discovered those, or maybe you discovered what to do with those, how to monetize it. I had just, just started on the iPad when I joined that program with you. Okay. So that was like January of 2021 and we're in July of 2023 now. Yep. So you had just started yeah. And it's so funny when I started, they were not about the topic that I'm drawing now. They were all about gut health because that that's the topic I was interested when I was pregnant and then breastfeeding because I was interested in, you know, keeping my optimal health. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make comic strips like a web comic about gut health. That was my original intention. And it's so funny to see where it all went because now the theme that I draw about is like so different, but you have to allow for that evolution and just start with, you know, what is striking you at the time. Right. So you were listening to podcasts and stuff around gut health and, and personal development, right? Yep. It was gut health. And then as time went on, it started switching to mindfulness mindfulness and manifestation and I was starting to listen to both it was like gut health and this other thing and then it kind of the gut health thing switched off and I was like no I'm all in on this mindfulness and manifestation and that's when the drawing started to really lean heavily in that direction interesting fascinating and so at what point did you sort of feel like your identity had been revived? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It did feel like a revival. It felt like, yeah, an awakening, really. 
I describe, would say, describe that. Yeah, I would say it was when I was painting. So once it felt consistent, once it felt normalized, once once my body was going to do the action without consciously needing to think about it, and that's just basic habit forming. You know, yeah. once I had put in enough hours and days where it just became like, this is just what we do. Mm -hmm. And I know the actions to do. And my body just like does it without resistance, without fear, without like all this hoopla and procrastination. It's like, no, we just, we sit here, we pick up the brush, we dip it in the paint, you know, and it, you know, simple stuff like that. But when it felt so like obvious, that's when the awakening happened because that's when I could say, well, I'm a painter because I paint every day. Mm. So I'm an artist and you are what you do consistently. So it just became this very natural, like, oh yeah, well, I'm an artist because I create art every day. And I couldn't claim that title before because I was not creating every day for myself. So that's when it felt like, oh, yes, it's back. This is me because I was daily dipping into that feeling and that that piece of me. And how was the version 2.0, Leanne, the artist, different than the version 1.0, the, the big wig out of art school with these like really important jobs that you had yeah it's interesting it's just such a different season of life I think I really needed that 1.0 version of me because I think when you're younger you want to kind of like prove yourself you want to kind of like flex a little bit like to see what you can do to push boundaries to like go all in and work yourself you know stay up late and all that stuff and it it proved what, like it, it worked out. I, I felt awesome. I was making cool stuff and I needed, I think I needed that to show myself, like you can really do anything as long as you, you know, put the work in, but 2.0 me is like, well, I don't want to work that way anymore. <laughs> I don't want anything to be hard. I'm so over the like tortured artists I'm I'm not staying up late. I refuse to stay up late. Um, I just want everything to be easy and for it to feel good. And my 1.0 version would never say that. It'd be like, no, we're gonna pull three all-nighters in a row and we're gonna grind ourselves into the ground to like put this project out fast. And new me is like, I don't care how long this takes. Honestly, I'm just happy making the art. Wow. Um, so we're coming up towards the end of the hour. So what um, what part of the story have we left out? And and I and I do want to get sort of a again, but maybe not again. A more well. First of all, what else do we need to know? I think the biggest thing that I want people to walk away with is that if you're feeling like you want to take on a personal creative practice or a project, if you are struggling with that, if you have had a bunch of starts and stops, you've got to lower the stakes. You've got to lower the bar. You've got to take it down a notch. You've got to simplify what you're doing. It's too big. It's too complicated. Just take whatever it is and pick a version of it that just seems so simple and so easy. It almost feels like insulting to your ability. And do that. Start there. You get to do the more fancy, complicated thing later. But if you're having trouble starting, you have to start with what feels easy in your body. And that has been my story. I am capable of so much more than these black and white digital drawings. 
you know, like for what I'm doing, for my training, for my schooling, for all the years, all the ability that I have, what I'm doing now does not exemplify what I am able to do. And I choose that right now because of the circumstances I'm living, because of the season of life, Mm -hmm. and because of my desire. Like it feels so good. And I just want to feel good. I want to feel productive. I love that it's, you know, able to carry messages, my art and these quick little hits and I can get it out fast. And that just feels great. And that's my message to artists or writers or musicians, anyone creative. If you're feeling stuck, it's too hard. Whatever you're trying to do, don't do it. It's too much. Make it easier and you'll thank yourself. So I think there's a catch 22 with that because creatives tend to have so much ability and so much, we know what can be attained. And so to, to like then scale it back to the basics is really asking a lot. So how do, how do you help people change their mindset with that? Yeah, it's so true. Nobody wants to hear the word compromise. (laughs) They're like, don't tell me to compromise. I'm an artist. Right. And that's exactly what I do. I'm like, well, whatever you're doing, it's not working. So come over here where it's like easy breezy fits into your day and you get it done. Do you want that? Or do you want the struggle bus where you're like paralyzed, not doing anything? Like you, you pick, but I'm having a blast over here. <laughs> and yeah. I pick- Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say like, that's, that's the type of people I attract. I think they're just looking for something else that they just need some new change and they know that they can get there. And I'm telling them you get to have that really cool, shiny like complicated thing. I'm not telling you can't have it. I'm saying don't start there. Mm -hmm. And that, that like makes people feel okay. They're like, okay, I get to have it. (laughs) Start something you can finish. Yeah. And that's why I, that's why the only thing I knit anymore are scarves. Mm -hmm. And once those scarves (laughs) become like so easy, then then like you'll just naturally evolve to the next thing it's like why do we have to force it why can't we just let it naturally organically evolve into what it's supposed to be well the thing is is that the creative has their plan in their head like I have two musician brothers and one of them you know he's actually a very great musician but he doesn't get things recorded because it has to be just the way he needs it to be. Right. And he has to have the other right musicians and everything has to all like line up, which it never does. And it's so, so sad because, you know, he isn't getting his work out into the world. Yeah. And it's true. It's, it, it is hard to get there. And you know, I just helped a musician actually in my past round of 100 Epic Days. And the way I helped her is that she wanted to put out a new album. I'm like, okay, cool. When's the last time you put out an album? Like, have you been creating music consistently? And the answer was no. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we don't start with the album. <laughs> Can we agree to that? And she said, no, I want to make an album. I'm like, okay, well, what are the levers we can pull to make this simpler? Maybe it's not an album of unique, new, original songs. What else could it be? And she came to the answer herself, like, oh, I can make an album of cover songs. That way I'm not writing new lyrics and composing new song you know and it's like I'm just helping people like talk them off the ledge of perfectionism Mm -hmm. and I get that feedback a lot from my clients is that they're healing this perfectionism trauma that I think is like running rampant in our culture and especially with creatives really needs to be addressed and you know did this woman 
finish an album in a hundred days? No. What did she do? She said she regained her confidence in her music that she hadn't felt in years. Mm -hmm. She was creating music. She was, you know, practicing consistently and she felt like anything was possible and she knew the next steps for her album. It's like, okay, like, Mm -hmm. let's just start where we are. Let's accept that and stop forcing it. You reminded me of my book program because we don't start with an outline. We don't start with a table of content. We don't start with chapters. We start with these little snippets of like 250 words and uh, on just anything that interests us. And then we find we're able to connect the dots and then sort of piece things together. But this whole, you know, these like really big things like writing a book or making a an album of original music, they, yeah, you can't just start with, okay, this, it's not, a, it's never going to be a linear progress, uh, process. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you haven't been, if you don't have a daily creative practice going, who right, are like, you? Like some people, some people can just crank that stuff out, but for the rest of us, it's, it's, you know, sort of a little bit more haphazard and then, and then getting in the practice, like Seth Godin's book, the practice of just mm-hmm. like showing up every day and doing what you want to be doing, not about like achieving, just like do it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people actually don't know what the practice is. And I was very fortunate to grow up. My mom is a painter. Mm. So she was in her studio every day, whether it was working on something that, you know, turned out to be a finished painting or not, didn't matter. She was in there. So I saw firsthand, oh, you just be the artist. And it's like stuff will accidentally just come out of that. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And you know, working in community, I think is huge. And just being around other people that are working on their personal work outside of their day job, that's not for a commission, like being in a group of people and to have someone running it, to have someone on the other side of your personal project is huge. Because who else is going to hold you accountable? You know, like we don't have anyone asking for these books to be written. There's no one asking for the music album. Nobody cares if I finish my affirmation deck. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really valuable to be held in a container and to have that structure to be like, okay, during this time, energy is going there and we're all agreed to that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my author's program motto. Never write alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so fascinating. So the the give me in a nutshell, identity-wise, the Leanne, when you were sort of at the top of your game working before you realized this something quite isn't right, the Leanne at the bottom of the barrel and the Leanne now. Yeah. And you want me to describe those three? Yeah. In a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the Leanne at the top of my game, kind of like killing it in the industry, working for other people. I was really good at my job. I mean, I still freelance, but working full time in a place, I was on top of the world. I was making other people happy. I was making other people money. I was playing nice and Mm. I was flexing my creative skill set in a way that felt good at the time, you know, and I was really working hard, long hours. I was definitely grinding it out. Mm -hmm. That felt good at the time. Bottom of the barrel, Leanne, is, oh my gosh, I've lost it all. Who am I? Will this ever get better? I don't know what I want. Life sucks. I don't know how to get out of this. 
And me now, I'm like, anything is possible. Life is incredible. I love my cre- my creative practice. I love that I'm helping other creatives. I feel like I'm going to do just like amazing things. And I'm doing it just even just by mm-hmm. showing up and drawing, you know, like that just feels like, wow. Well, you already are doing amazing things. So what, tell us, you know, what your, your program is and how people can find you online. Yeah. Well, my main program is called 100 Epic Days. So this is where I take a group of people through this live experience and we all commit to one thing. I force people to pick either a creative practice or a personal project. And I hold you in that lane for a hundred days <laughs> and I help people rescope their projects, rethink their creative practice. I kind of guide them through this whole mindset thing and I hold them accountable and it's incredible. I've helped artists, writers, musicians, all sorts of creatives. And they come out on the other side, like, wow, that's not what I expected, but I feel like a different person. This is incredible. So it's really about getting a consistent practice going and a hundred days is enough time to do that. And I also have this new program actually called Awaken Channel and Create, which is all about the spiritual side of creating, which we didn't really get into here, which we don't have time for. But um, I have that. I also have a self-led course now called Epic Start where I kind of share my philosophy and my lessons. I'm like, okay, how can you go about taking on a creative practice and personal project and feel empowered to get this thing off the ground? Um, I am in the middle of switching my brand from Epic Bones to leannebrennan.com. So by the time this airs, hopefully you'll be able to go to leannebrennan.com and that will be live. I've also switched my Instagram to create with Leanne and Leanne is L-E-E-A-N-N-E. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm very active. I would definitely go there and you can DM me if you want to learn more about what I do. Well, I am so thrilled with what you're doing because it's just so important to find a way to do this kind of creative work that isn't for anybody else and yet it's a part of who we are and without it you know I went away from it for like years at a time and then I'd find myself back into the pattern making and sewing and I'd I'd realize oh my god I didn't realize how much I missed this Mm-hmm. until I reconnected with it and because it, it can just sort of it can just sort of go off into the you know into the night with and we don't sort of notice that it's it's gone but inside us we do know you know that our our inner self knows that something is missing yeah yeah it's so true when you reconnect with it you realize how big of a piece it is to your happiness. And it's one of those things you don't know until it's gone. And then when it returns, you're just so grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Leanne, any last, any last um, thoughts on this? No, I'm just so happy to have this time with you. And thanks again. Well, me too. I'm so glad we finally connected on a, on a podcast and you, yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, how many people you help. Oh, thank you so much. Same to you. Okay. Thanks so much, Leanne. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. 
It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.